Welcome to NFT Talent Talk, where we explore the people of Web3 and their impact on the future of technology. My name is Sander Gansen, and I'll be your host through this exciting journey towards NFT talent. Today, we have Robert Gobbold with us, the co-founder and COO of Beach Collective, a social platform which rewards direct client action. He's a big picture thinker and has delivered transformative educational experiences to over 40,000 people worldwide. Today, we'll talk about saving the planet through blockchain. So sit back, grab a banana, relax, and let's get started. For those that want to see uh, us, then uh, we have set it up on Twitch and you can uh, see Rob and myself. And I'll be uh, showing uh, some things uh, uh, later on as well. But uh, today, uh, we are happy to welcome uh, one another uh, speaker for NFT Tallinn, uh, the event that will uh, be with us uh, in May uh, here in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. And uh, Rob uh, comes from a very interesting uh, concept uh, and company, a uh, company named uh, Beach Token. And uh, today uh, we'll be going a little bit deeper into what is uh, Beach Token, as well as uh, trying to understand uh, uh, where does Rob come from and uh, how did we uh, get uh, here? So, uh, Rob, can you uh, maybe start by just uh, introducing yourself and uh, uh, what have you been doing before Beach Token? Yeah, Fab, thanks very much, Sander. Um, my background is really in climate change. Um, I've been a passionate climate advocate my whole life. Um, became very interested in the uh, power of designing currencies for achieving sustainable goals. I mean, essentially, the insight is that, you know, money is one of the most powerful incentive systems for coordinating human behavior. I mean, you can get really deep on this, but like, what is money really? Well, first of all, if you try and pin down what money is, you're almost certainly missing it's like a bar of soap, you know, you try and define it and actually it's, it, 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 you can never quite say exactly what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's a relationship as much as anything, but certainly one thing it is, is, is it's the ability to coordinate and marshal resources and human time and effort. And therefore the way that you design that has incredibly powerful effects on the kinds of society that you make possible. And basically, um, without putting too fine a point on it, the, the way that our national currencies are designed um, is, is great if you want to grow and grow and grow endlessly and extract as much wealth in the short term and terrible if you're trying to achieve a sustainable uh, global civilization. So I kind of came at it from that philosophical angle, I suppose, um, invested in Bitcoin purely ideologically in kind of 2015, long before I realized about the sort of emissions problems related to that. And then um, met up with one of the other founders of uh, Beach Collective CT. And we just met very clearly in the middle of this kind of um, almost like idealistic, ambitious space of what can be done if you, re if you designed money consciously. Um, and we've kind of taken it from there. And um, we've actually got another one of our founders in the space as well, Bags, um, is listening in. Hello to Bags. Um, we're a team of um, fluctuating between sort of eight, and eight, eight or nine founders at this point. And um, we really just are, are trying to consciously design systems for a sustainable civilization. You know, we, this kind of growth phase of humanity, like our adolescence is over, you know, and, you know, an adolescent, you know, is supposed to grow very quickly, be irresponsible, break things. And that's fine. That's what an adolescent meant to do. Um, but at some point we have to actually consciously design our context and our environments and our systems. And that's really what we're trying to do at the Beach Collective. Yeah. Uh, so in very uh, simple terms, I understand that, uh, Beach Collective has uh, come together to uh, generate um, tools and money uh, in order to uh, really support the uh, uh, circular uh, economy. Uh, and uh, I've just uh, opened Beach Token's uh, website as well. Uh, and I'd love to uh, hear it a little bit even more from uh, Rob's words of like, what is the actual mission of Beach Collective? And uh, 
what can people do with it uh, already today? Yeah, fantastic. So, so the mission is really twofold. Um, number one, it's to create an economy where the health of the planet is internalized into every single transaction. That's why we have this tagline, do good with every transaction. Um, the idea being that every time you use your card to pay for a coffee, um, you know, or you make a foreign exchange transfer, whatever it is, all those fees are leaking out in the form of fees to Visa, MasterCard, Amex, um, whatever it might be, PayPal, you name it, right? So we take lesser fees than that, and we redistribute them for the health and resilience of the planet. Even better, the emissions of a beach token transaction are lower than the emissions of a Visa or MasterCard payment. So that's this beautiful vision of every, imagine if we could do that for even a tiny slither of the global economy, channel it through this new means of exchange where every transaction is doing something good for the planet. It's providing jobs, it's cleaning beaches, it's planting mangroves, you name it. So that's mission number one. Mission number two is really to create an incentive for anyone anywhere to do good for the planet. And we do that using a social platform called Beach Action, um, which basically creates rewards for anybody anywhere who does something good for the planet. So Sander, you could be on the beach in Estonia, you find a plastic bottle, you pick it up, you drop a pin in the map, and you actually earn Beach Token as a reward for that action. Um, and then using that tool, you can start to attract corporate funding and CSR funding as well. So perhaps your action is also sponsored by the bar down the road, right, which will accept beach token as payment and wants to, wants to have a clean beach on its doorstep. Um, so that's really, you know, we're kind of leveraging there, not just the financial incentive, but the social incentive as well, right, because social media is also this powerful tool for shaping human behavior. So that's mission number two, is really getting those two powerful incentive systems, social incentive, financial incentives, working in harmony with the planet rather than against it. Okay. So basically, there's like uh, two big parts in everything. On the one hand, it is the uh, do good with every transaction side, which you are facilitating yourself, uh, in which uh, uh, people are being paid in beach token uh, for doing uh, good in uh, specific uh, projects, whether it is uh, ocean cleanup or uh, other things. And then there's the bigger mission of getting uh, other uh, projects in the same space uh, together as well. And uh, kind of like generating a, a big economy of uh, doing good, uh, as I understand. Yeah, that's precisely it. I mean, there's so many mission-aligned, value-aligned actors and agents in the world right now who really do care about the planet, from NGOs to small community groups to individuals to businesses, right? And so the beauty of being a currency or being a social media platform is that you can really act as the glue to knit all these things together. So I might pick up the bottle from the beach because I care about a clean beach. I earn some beach token from a bar down the road which accepts it. Um, they get visibility and status through the app. Um, and maybe the action is also sponsored by, um, I don't know, Microsoft, who are sponsoring any actions that take place in Estonia that day. So you can use the currency and you can use the, um, the social platform to basically knit together and, and bring together all climate-focused agents anywhere in the world and kind of create like a parallel economy, I suppose, which is built on sustainable principles. Um, so, yeah, you've, I mean, in short, yes, you've nailed it. <laughs> Okay, and I think uh, one uh, very key question uh, that uh, people uh, might have when it comes to technology and uh, the blockchain side is uh, how are you able to uh, really be uh, clean uh, and uh, like um, not uh, spend too much electricity and not do anything else bad? I understand that one part of it is that you're uh, built on the uh, Binance uh, uh, chain, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it's, so it's worth prefacing this by saying that um, I'm not the technical crypto guy, um, so I can give you a kind of layman-friendly answer. Um, uh, but yes, we are built on the Binance Smart Chain, um, which is centralized, of course, which is, you know, isn't one for the purists, I understand. Um, but we made that decision for several reasons. Firstly, yes, because it's low emissions, as you say. Um, secondly, because of its adoption in a lot of the places that we operate, like the Philippines, Kenya, Nigeria, you know, we're trying to be a functional currency for everyday payments. So um, the kind of more accessible it is, the, the, the better. Um, and um, 
but the other thing that we've we've kind of innovated and, and so far as I know this is fairly unique in the space um, is that we've kind of created an internal economy so I can buy beach token on the open market and other registers on the blockchain etc and I can store that in my wallet but I can then top up my bag my beach bag and that's kind of like we basically would hold those tokens and then that allows you to make transactions within our ecosystem entirely frictionless just through simple accounting um, and that's really how we take the the emissions of the transactions right the way down to the bottom um, because essentially no blockchain transaction is being registered when i make a purchase or i send beach token to somebody i bought a coconut on the beach you name it um, we've we've basically taken all of the friction out of that and so um and that's you know there's there's we're certainly working on on smarter and cleverer ways of achieving that but at least at the moment um that's that's fairly powerful because it, it suddenly means that you can earn and spend beach token without owning a crypto wallet and you know again i imagine everyone in this space is is you know people who are involved in crypto and excited about crypto but if crypto really wants to change the world um it needs to become accessible to the refugees in Kakuma refugee camp who, who we work with, who clean, clean up the camp, or um, you know, the women in the Philippines who clean up the beaches there. Um, and that's really, you know, there's a digital access issue there. Um, it's not just about giving everyone a smartphone either. It's about teaching them how to use it, teaching them how to feel comfortable in, in those kind of spaces. And every barrier that you can take down is, um, is another user which will join and start using this like a real currency in their everyday payments, which is, which is really our goal. Yeah. And before we go deeper into how Beach Token works and what's, uh, uh, what's the future on that side, then I guess the important part is why would anyone uh, need a Beach Token? And uh, that's, that's where I understand that there are actual uh, use cases for that, where people are able to uh, use it to buy uh, services and as well as to get some other rewards. So maybe uh, let's uh, talk about this uh, Beach Token's rewards uh, as well. Yeah, spot on. So, I mean, the currency is only as good as what you can use it for, right? So we're launching a shop in uh, end of March. Um, we already have uh, about 11 or 12 brands which have agreed to um, uh, basically adopt the currency. Um, they include brands like Ginger Bees, sell sustainable activewear, Ocean Bottle, um, which make reusable bottles, um, waste to edge, kind of like a you know low plastic, low waste um, household items company. So various different companies and small brands that we're bringing on board. In addition, you'll be able to buy CSR packages as well. Um, so that could be uh, corporates who want to say they've cleaned X amount of kilograms, or even small brands who maybe um, you know buy this T-shirt and will clear a kilogram of waste from the oceans, right? So we would basically provide that as a package. Um, and even, even sort of Christmas presents and stuff. So I actually sponsored a clean for my sisters and, and my nephews. They're actually in Kenya at the moment, my nephews. And um, so I wanted to give them a cool Christmas present. So I sponsored a beach clean for them in Kenya. And it came with a nice personalized video, which says, you know, happy Christmas, Wolfie and Tark, and we've cleaned the beach for you. So we're going to be selling those kind of CSR packages. And then in addition, we're going to be selling carbon credits as NFTs. And that's um, hopefully what I'm really looking forward to speaking about at the conference. Um, because we've got quite a radical and fresh approach to, the, to carbon markets using NFTs and um, satellite technology, basically to disintermediate the carbon market and get rid of all the middlemen. Um, so as of sort of Q2 this year, perhaps Q3, you'll be able to buy those on our platform as well. But we're expanding all the time and um, constantly onboarding new brands um, in time for the launch of the shop at the end of March. Um, it's also worth saying as well that that online commerce piece is only kind of half of what we're trying to do in terms of um, transactions, um, because we're also trying to explore the possibility of setting up beach hubs, so physical on-the-ground locations where there's actually shops, bars, and restaurants which accept the currency. Um, there's a few we're mooting. One is in the Philippines. We've actually done pilots of this with a shop in the Philippines and a shop in Kakuma Refugee Camp. Um, which accepts the currency as payment for their goods and services. Um, and they do that using this app we've developed called Beach, uh, Beach Pay, um, which allows for these friction, frictionless transactions, like I mentioned. 
Um, so basically using that, we've, you know, we've done those as little pilots, but the idea is to scale it. You go from one shop to five to 10 to 20, and you create kind of mini local circular economies where the transactions are pinging between all the local agents and all those fees that would normally be leaking out of the community in the form of Visa or MasterCard payments, we're ring fencing those and we're funding a local beach clean down the road. And that's how we inject the currency into the community, right? Um, so that's um, probably a little further down the line, but that's something we're really excited about. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think a very important uh, thing is to also look at uh, which geographies you have already uh, started with, because I understand it's, it's not that much uh, doing things in Europe these days, but rather in the third world countries, uh, or am I mistaken? No, so the, basically we began by funding the direct action, right? So, you know, we have a commitment to spend two thirds of any of the transaction fees we take on clean oceans and blue carbon projects. Um, and because of the high transaction volume when we launched, we had this pot of money to spend. Now, if you're trying to um, clean beaches, provide employment, basically do good in the world, and you have a limited amount of money, that money is always going to go further and do more good if you spend it in countries where the income is lower, where the plastic pollution problem is probably higher, um, and the kind of opportunity to do good is higher. So in terms of where we allocate our funds, we're really focusing on those areas. Um, and they include, yeah, Philippines, Kenya, Ghana, Lebanon. These are our sort of main places that we fund regularly. Uh, but we have funded um, beach cleans and even sea turtle conservation in places as far flung as um, Papua New Guinea, Brazil, um, uh, South Africa, you name it, many more. Um, but that's where we're going to focus our kind of direct action. But the commerce piece, you know, the, the, um, the brands that we list in our shop will, will just as well, they could be from anywhere, to be honest. Um, but that kind of commerce piece could really, yeah, could really take place anywhere. And the online shopping, of course, is global. So that the, the revenue will come from those kind of things, but we're going to spend it in countries where we, we feel we can do more good. Yeah. So today, uh, Beach Action and Beach Pay are live, right? Yes, exactly. That's right. So you can go and register an action right now on Beach Action, uh, which is our social platform. And um, indeed, you can use BeachPay to make frictionless off-chain transactions to anyone in the world. And so when it comes to now the Beach Action site, then uh, is it uh, so that at the moment, all those uh, activities have to be uh, pre-planned uh, by uh, someone coming to you, uh, saying that let's, uh, let's do a action there and, and then uh, it uh, gets put into the system? Or uh, is it such that uh, if I, for example, think that, oh, there's a beach here in Estonia and uh, this really needs to be clean, uh, cleaned up, can I do it uh, myself as well? Or uh, if not yet, then uh, is it something that I might be able to do in the future? No, no beach action is available to absolutely anyone, anywhere. Um, and the action can be as small as I found a plastic bottle, I ate a vegetarian meal, um, perhaps I made a sustainable shopping choice, really any kind of action. Our view is really that um, small individual actions matter, that your choices matter. Um, we're kind of aware that there's quite a destructive kind of narrative in the climate space, which basically spends all their time pointing the finger at large corporations and governments and, and telling them to come along and solve the problem. Don't get me wrong, governments and countries need to do far more but that narrative is implicitly disempowering because it basically tells the individual that your choices don't really matter. So Beach Action says the opposite. It says every action matters, every choice you make matters. And so it's available for anyone, anywhere to use. And um, you can register. But uh, you'll also earn uh, Beach Token rewards as well. Okay, so uh, so basically, uh, all of you uh, who are currently listening, go to uh, beatcollective.io, and uh, if you are in the uh, evening picking up a, uh, a plastic bottle or eating vegan meal, then uh, I understand it's possible for you uh, to go and uh, uh, list it there, 
And will uh, all the people then uh, get paid uh, in uh, pitch tokens right away uh, for those uh, uh, small actions as well? Or uh, is there some sort of uh, steps that need to be done before uh, any uh, payments are made? Felix, there is a small... Okay. Ah, we've yep. got you back. There we go. Hi. Sorry about that. Did you hear the last question? No, I missed it. Can I uh, repeat it if you can? Yeah. So uh, when it comes to uh, these uh, pitch actions, uh, and if anyone uh, tonight will go and, uh, uh, for example, eat a vegan meal, will they be uh, uh, getting paid in pitch token right away if they, once they uh, list this action? Or is there any other steps uh, that need to be done before something uh, is uh, rewarded for? So the token rewards we've yet to plug in. Um, basically, the algorithm for distributing them and on what basis and how much uh, was far more complicated than we anticipated. So those uh, rewards will probably be plugged in in sort of March time. Um, and I think as well as the action, we ask people to share the action on socials as well. So there's an extra step that we ask people to take in order to generate the reward. Um, but in the meantime, we're also running a competition just to keep it exciting. So any actions that are registered between now and then when we plug in the rewards uh, will be entered into a competition to win up to $1,000 in Beach, which we'll award uh, when we close the competition um, and when we plug in the rewards. Um, but, uh, but yeah, eventually, um, end of March, you'll, be, you'll earn an automatic reward for the action. And then the exciting part is how we use and leverage uh, Beach Action to basically attract CSR funds, like I said, <clears throat> almost like company CSR and marketing spend in one go, because then the rewards that you earn turn into something significant, right? Um, you know, if whatever company's doing a campaign, um, we can kind of leverage that because we can give them logo impressions and click-throughs uh, because when those rewards land in your wallet, it says sponsored by Microsoft or sponsored by HP laptops, right? Whatever it might be. And, um, and so that's where we can start to really bring in more funds and make those rewards meaningful. Um, but I would say that if you're in the you know, developed world, then the incentive is going to be largely social, right? So it's not just the financial um, rewards you're earning. You're also earning um, basically kind of like leaderboard points, right? So it's basically influence and visibility and status. So rather than Facebook, which sells visibility and status to the highest bidder, we give visibility and status to those who do the most good for the world. Um, so in the West, that will be at least as much of an incentive as the financial incentive. But in some way, like the Philippines, those beach rewards will be meaningful. Um, and so we've kind of um, aimed, the, you know, aimed the needle to kind of uh, sort of straddle that, that divide, if that makes sense. Uh, and you mentioned that the algorithm uh, was much more complex than you initially uh, expected. Uh, does it mean that you are uh, act actively trying to uh, calculate the uh, change in world done by each uh, of those uh, small uh, activities and based on that uh, pay the beach tokens in the future? Or uh, how does this side uh, work? Yeah, well, there's, there's a complicated bit because the amount of rewards that we give out each day will depend on the number of transactions the day before, um, because we obviously we can't give out more in rewards than we're earning in transactions. Um, there's a kind of runway period where, you know, it'll be a loss making platform and that's absolutely fine. Um, but at a certain point, we obviously need to bring those two things together. So first of all, we need to kind of calculate the transactions that day and how much revenue has been devoted to clean oceans or blue carbon activities. Then we obviously need to assess what kind of action it is that you've taken. Have you planted a tree? In which case that would come under the carbon thing or have you picked up a plastic bottle? So they'll come from separate funds. And then there's also the added complexity of the fact that you might have companies buying CSR packages, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and so that will affect the total number of, um, you know, like, uh, uh, beach dollars that there are in the pool to basically distribute. Um, but there are some kind of ethical issues as well, because if you're, let's say if you're a company that's trying to market in, um, you know, your product using beach action, 
So you might say, I want to sponsor beach token rewards for um, any women between the ages of 25 to 35 in the USA and in Northern Europe, right? Um, because that's my target market as a sustainable brand. Those are the logo impressions that I want. Trouble is, if you give companies full freedom to market to wherever they want, we're going to end up recreating the same imbalances, global imbalances that you see everywhere, because the vast majority of commerce goes on in those countries, right? So we don't want to create a situation where there are massive rewards available if you're picking up litter from the beach in Brighton or in, in, in the US, um, but very little if you're picking up litter in Kakuma refugee camp, right? So there's, there's a few kind of ethical um, landmines there that we want to navigate to make sure the platform's equitable um, and to make sure that, yeah, we're also being useful to companies, right? That we're, we're giving the, the rewards to people that are useful to them, but not so much that we're make, creating this imbalance. So it's, it's complicated to say the least. God, it's not me who's trying to work all of this out. Um, <laughs> but probably what we'll do to kick off with is that the CSR packages will just be distributed randomly and automatically. So there'll be no customer profiling. Um, but obviously, if you really want to appeal to brands and really appeal to their marketing budgets, we'll have to include some kind of customer profiling in terms of where their spend lands. Um, but that's, that's to come down the line. Yeah, and, and this, uh, this very much sounds like a super complicated uh, research-based uh, process. So uh, is it that you uh, have involved some researchers or are doing some sort of uh, collaboration with universities as well? Or uh, how are you uh, able to go through uh, all of this? I wish I had the time, Sander. <laughs> I mean, sounds like we should be doing something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're at full tilt at the moment. Um, I'm the only full-time employee. We've got um, Jasper, our marketing manager, sort of half full-time and um, the rest of the founder team pitch in here and there. But um, but yeah, I guess if there are any universities out there and crucially they can give us the capacity and they want to do something interesting on this, then then sure, yeah, we're, we're wide open to that kind of thing. Well, I guess uh, once this uh, all thing is uh, built out and uh, is uh, already fully working, then uh, these are the next steps we're to look at. Uh, and when talking about the next steps, uh, then... Uh, uh, we have the beach action system. Uh, we have the uh, beach pay, so people would be able to pay the tokens uh, uh, to themselves. And you mentioned the uh, shop that's coming already. But uh, looking at the uh, website, uh, I see that there's uh, some other interesting uh, things coming as well, uh, such as beach nomad, beach uh, swap, uh, NFT, and farm. So uh, is there something uh, specific that you would want to bring out uh, on what you're doing in the future that uh, people should be looking out for? Yeah, I think the, the, the product that I'm really interested in is, I mean, Beach Nomad will, just for clarity, is a um, basically a freelancer platform, so a way for people to sell their services in exchange for Beach as well. Um, beach Swap, exchanging it for other tokens. Um, beach Farm, obviously, you know, farming, liquidity, uh, staking, that kind of thing. Um, but I think the one I'm most excited about is Beach Carbon um, because that is, well, the potential to do good is very exciting um, and the potential to kind of really uh, disrupt carbon markets. Um, but we're also marketing at individuals, right? So at the moment, carbon credits really mostly purchased by kind of large corporates and governments. And I mean, there's so many problems with carbon markets. I, I won't even get into it now because it's a long and technical conversation and Plus, I want to keep my powder dry for the conference. Um, but um, basically, we'll provide a tool for individuals to kind of roughly calculate their carbon emissions per year and then sell them carbon credits as NFTs. And those carbon credits will come with um, uh, a unique story of where that carbon is generated. So we're working with um, uh, the government in the Solomon Islands, not, not, the, not the government, um, probably shouldn't have said that to be honest, but we're speaking to somebody who um, is a sort of governor of a, a district of the Solomon Islands and they have large tracts of pristine rainforest there. And um, so they will be the first carbon NFTs on our, on our platform. And, and obviously the value of protecting that rainforest, which is which is kind of part of, it's, it's part of their, um, the, the indigenous people's local mythology is that that's, that's their heaven, their rainforest. Like the rainforest is where they go when they die, right? So heaven and earth are not separate. Um, and that's 
you know, vastly, vastly more powerful and meaningful than just a ton of carbon, right? And so that's what we're trying to kind of build into these is to really remind people that, you know, a rainforest is so much more than, than, than just a, a number of digits of carbon, right? It's something far more powerful than that and far more important and sacred. Um, and so we're really trying to capture that somehow with this um, carbon NFT product to kind of build in the stories into that um, and make it widely available for, for individuals, for brands, for companies, for what have you. So that product I'm really, really excited about. And we're, we're launching a, we want a grant actually from FutureQuest to build that product, which is very exciting. And um, we're also going to make a film in partnership with a production company called HGL. Um, and that'll be a kind of 20 minute film, not, not specifically about the carbon product because we don't want to really make it about us, but just kind of to recapture the power and value of these indigenous worldviews, which is so, which is what we've, which is what we've lost, right? We've lost our connection to the land in, in, in the developed world. We've lost our connection to the earth. And um, it's kind of just trying to remind everybody that we are all indigenous. You know, we, we, we all come from somewhere that, that we belong and that we have a connection to and to kind of help rediscover and refine that, refine that connection. And, um, and so that's something that is very close to, to all of our hearts actually yeah uh, i i see that there's a lot of exciting things uh, coming uh, still from uh, the beach token and the whole beach collective uh, side and uh, one big part that's already there is uh, that you're qu quite so uh, frequently uh, generating all sorts of uh, great content uh, which uh, seems to be on the the big scale of things, where things are now, as well as where things are going. So uh, this uh, uh, this makes me want to delve a little bit deeper with you on what do you see as the uh, future? Like if everything goes perfectly on the Beach Collective side, as well as uh, from uh, potential other projects that are doing something uh, very similar or that are uh, sharing the values with you, then uh, what would you uh, want to have the world look like in the next five, 10, 20 years? Yeah, well, I think the to understand where we want to go to, we kind of have to understand what's wrong with where we're at. I mean, essentially, we're incentivizing and rewarding all the wrong kinds of behaviors, right? Um, and there's this huge gap between what we value and what money values or what our systems value. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not so much that humans are selfish and greedy. It's that we place them in context and environments which incentivize and reward all of those sides of our nature, right? Abraham Maslow had this quote, the definition of a good society is one in which virtue pays, you know? So if you create those conditions for cooperation and um, yeah, sustainable choices and behaviors to flourish, then you make it easy for people. And that's really the way we see it. You know, we, we have to kind of get out of this judgy finger pointy space. And so I think there's, you know, and technology can enable that. And that's obviously what we're trying to do, <clears throat> but it's only half of the, it's only half of the equation, right? Because evolution is not just a technological thing. It's, it's also a social and cultural phenomenon, right? You know, our values and worldviews evolve over time. And at present we lack, humanity lacks the cognitive complexity to understand the world that we live in. We lack the kind of um, consciousness really to live in harmony with 8 billion people on a finite planet. And we lack, we lack the kind of cultural sensitivity um, to live in harmony and live in peace, right? And basically we're at a point now where our technologies are so powerful that if we continue to play this kind of win-lose game theoretical you know, game, um, then we all lose. So basically we're threading the eye of a needle. We're going through an evolutionary bottleneck and either we find a way to come together as a species and to design our systems consciously. Um, and you know, we, and you know, what, whatever shift in worldview kind of enables that, right. Or we're screwed basically we're you know, the, the, like our, our, the writings on the wall. So, and, we, and, you know, if you speak to indigenous people, and I was lucky enough to meet a couple of them at COP27, you know, they'll say, you, you have about four years to get your shit in order. Like, that's the kind of time frame that we're on. Now, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not going to back up that claim. That's not really what I'm doing. I just think that the evolution is moving so quickly and the timeframes are so short now that, you know, we really, really, this decade is just so, I, I mean, I, I, I'm excited, right? Yeah, I don't want to frame it all as negative. I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be alive. Um, but all civilizations go through a life cycle, right? There's a new technology that creates new possibilities and one of two things happen. Either the ensuing disruption and chaos results in a collapse or you create a new operating system and you emerge to a higher level of complexity, right? We've seen it all throughout history, new technologies, um, particularly new information-based technologies, right? Think about the printing press, right? That suddenly enabled a completely new different kind of society, way of organizing ourselves, way of distributing power, all the rest of it. But there was an initial period of carnage after it came out because everything's being thrown on its head. And there's no guarantees that, that any civilization makes it through that turbulent period. And that's where we're at right now. We're going like this. We're bouncing up and down like pinballs. And we need to be incredibly, incredibly conscious and incredibly wise about the choices we make individually and collectively during this time. Um, and if we do that, then a relative utopia compared to where we are now, a relative utopia is possible. And that's really what's at stake here. But the trouble is that all of the solutions that have worked for the last 100 years or 80 years are now the things that are going to actively make things work. So we need to be incredibly ment mentally flexible and adaptable. And all of the arguments and conversations we've been having for 60 years, you know, left versus right, democracy versus autocracy, um, whatever it is, right, free will determinism, all of those debates and discussions they're, they're just the wrong discussions to be having right now. And we need to kind of get out of this yeah, black or white, either or thinking and embrace the complexity of the world and swim in ambiguity for a bit and, and be um, present, I think, above all. And, you know, that's, that's very, very exciting, but it's a massive evolutionary challenge. Um, and it's going to need, um, well, it's going to need a bit of luck. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I think the uh, uh, best uh, way how to get luck is to just uh, work more and then uh, uh, luck may happen <laughs> as a result of that. Uh, and on that front, uh, uh, of course, getting involved with Beachhogan is uh, one thing uh, which could help uh, for this uh, uh, particular problem. But uh, are there some like very specific hurdles that you're seeing that are currently holding us back as a uh, society? from uh, uh, achieving such and if then uh, for us to really be able to even envision that all, all this could be true one day Sorry, we're breaking up a bit there, but if I got the question right, is what do I think is really holding us back as a civilization and what are the next steps? Is that right? Yeah, it's giving me the thumbs up. Okay. What's really holding us back? Um, I think like our individual levels of development, right? Number one. So like I say, we, we kind of, even with really good intentions, we lack the cognitive complexity to understand the world around us. Like the whole scientific method is kind of based on this. Well, no, that's a, the, the wrong term to use, but a lot of our civilization successes are based on linear rational thinking, which basically takes one of it takes a handful of variables and then you know messes around with them to make predictions about the world and then make wise decisions off the back of that. But the world is infinitely more complex than that, and we're really finding this out now, right? So seemingly, you know, um, benign or, or well-intentioned projects like Facebook, you know, connect the world, let's get everyone connecting with each other. And then you plug in the profit motive and, you know, ad re maximize ad revenue and you end up breaking democracy, right? No one saw that coming. And it's because, you know, if you design these, these tools kind of blindly or, or without the kind of sufficient cognitive complexity to kind of take into account the effects of what you're doing, then benign actors or, or well-intentioned choices or decisions can have really bad unintended consequences. So I think there's a cognitive complexity piece there that we need to basically get smarter, to be honest, 
Um, and that's luckily that's something you can develop. And, you know, my friend Victoria Wilding at Higher Mind Initiative, that's kind of what she's helping people develop, helping future leaders develop these capacities. Um, yeah, what else? What's really holding us back? I mean, I've said this, uh, you know, before during this call, but really just that the systems that we're living, we're living in are not well designed, you know, so our money is, is basically based on debt and interest. So it's, it's, not many people know this, but, but our dollars and pounds are issued when private banks make loans. And those loans come with, with interest, obviously. They come with debt that you owe the bank plus interest. <clears throat> and that creates all sorts of perverse incentives. So, for example, um, let's say there's a tract of rainforest that I want to protect. I go to the bank and I say, I'd like a million dollars to buy this rainforest. And um, if you ever need, I'm going to preserve it, protect it. And if you ever need your million dollars back, I'll just sell the rainforest and then you can have your million dollars back. But the bank says, ah, but how will you pay the interest on the debt? Right? So the, this person doesn't get the loan. Next person goes along and says, hi, I want a, a million dollars point two, and I'm going to buy the rainforest, but I'm also going to employ loggers, tractors, etc., and I can give you 2% a year. Right? That person gets the loan. So that's just one example of how the mechanism of debt and interest creates these perverse incentives. Um, you know, I mean, there's many more as well. I mean, basically because of interest, money in the bank now is worth more than money tomorrow. So why preserve and maintain if I can extract it now and put it in the bank and then it'll earn interest, right? So these are just perverse incentives. They were great for the kind of post-war era when we needed to grow and economic growth was the right thing to do. And it actually lifted a lot of people out of poverty and that's all very well. Again, it's developmental theory this right it's like everyone has their adolescent phase that's fine but at the moment these really powerful forces for shaping human behavior our money and our you know our, our social media are really working against us and that for me is what's really holding us back is that you know humans are humans are what humans do right we care about our reputation we care about our wallet and that's fine as long as we have designed those tools consciously you know your reputation is, is a really powerful way of regulating social behavior. You know, money, if designed properly, is a way of giving resources and, you know, the power to marshal resources to the, the people who we want to have that power, right, who can make wise decisions. But at the moment, that's not happening. And that's simply because of the design of money and the design of social media itself. So I, I don't view human nature as the problem, right? I don't think humans are all selfish, evil bastards. I think that we're living in systems that are forcing us to swim upstream just to live in harmony with our planet. And that's what needs to change. Yeah. And uh, before uh, you mentioned that those uh, indigenous uh, uh, people that you were meeting uh, were claiming uh, some particular numbers of uh, like how quickly we need to change things. And you're not fully sure on that, but, uh, but there might be some truth to it. So, uh, in case things don't go good and in case uh, uh, Peach Collective uh, doesn't succeed and other similar projects uh, don't succeed either, then uh, what's the worst that can happen uh, in the uh, short or the midterm? Uh, kind of show the picture why everyone here uh, listening uh, should really uh, think about it and hopefully take some action. Well, um, I hate to end the call on a, on a sad note, <laughs> but um, I, actually just before I answer, I also just want to pick up on something you said, um, you, and it's important this, because you said all other projects like us. That's really important, right? Like if we don't make it, if the Beach Collective doesn't make it, but something like us does, somebody comes along who designs money wisely, designs social media wisely, we're delighted, right? This is not about us. We're just one stab at this quite difficult question, right? And, you know, we're bound to get it wrong in many ways. And, and, and we welcome, like, anyone who comes along to improve upon what we've, what we've come up with. Um, so that's really important to say, I think. <clears throat> in terms of, yeah, how bad the situation is, well, I mean, basically, we're playing Russian roulette with the human race. And we have a couple of bullets already in the chamber, right? There are so many tipping points, climate tipping points that some climate scientists say that we've already passed and that they're irreversible. There, there are reputable climate scientists out there who say that we're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, right? There's plenty of debate about that and, and there's plenty of people who say nonsense. Um, and 
you know, but I mean, even if, if things go wrong, even a conservative estimate is in the kind of hundreds of millions of deaths, right? Um, and that's because these climate tipping points, once you, it's like pushing a, a ball along the road, you know, but as soon at some point you get to a steep hill and you don't need to push it anymore. It's going to roll off by its own volition and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, so these, are tipping, these tipping points include uh, melting of the Arctic ice, um, which has, it basically acts like a mirror. It reflects the sunlight back up into the sky. Um, so it doesn't, the Earth doesn't absorb the heat. Well, if the Arctic melts, as it looks like it's going to do by 2050, um, then you have all of that heat that was normally being reflecting is being absorbed. <clears throat> you have ocean acidity. So as the ocean heats up, it gets more acidic. So it actually expels carbon rather than absorbing it, which is what it's doing at the moment. Um, the Amazon rainforest was said to be uh, giving off more carbon than it absorbed just a couple of years ago, I think. Um, you also have the methane time bomb. So you've got vast reserves. We don't even know how much methane stored under the Siberian permafrost. And when that starts to melt, methane, of course, something like 14 times more powerful than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. And we don't know how much methane is down there. But I've seen videos of people poking a hole in the ice and getting out a lighter and it bursts into flames, right? So, and you can look at the map, you can look at the amount of methane that's being released, right? It's enormous, enormous quantities. And, um, you know, there have been five mass extinctions on Earth before now. Um, this is something that happens in the history of, of life on Earth, um, but never has one, you know, most um, biologists say we're living through a sixth mass extinction now, never has one happened so quickly and caused by one species. Um, and you know how deep and how deep and profound and irreversible that is is we don't know basically. But um, let's not let's not play Russian roulette. Yeah, and and thus on the like good side of things, uh, what are the uh, simple and easy things that uh, people could do to uh, uh, help? Yeah, important to focus on that. So um, many, many things, basically. Um, and everyone's different as well. And I think this is a personal choice, right? I don't go and judge anyone based on their choices. You know, it's all about doing what you can and what you feel able to do. Um, obviously, cutting out flying is a good one. Even if you can reduce one flight a year, get the train instead, that's great. Um, switching your home to renewable energy. Sometimes that even costs less, um, particularly as uh, oil and gas prices keep rising. Um, eating less meat is a good one. Um, again, could just be less meat. I eat beef twice a year. I'm actually not disciplined enough to give up meat entirely. Um, but, you know, I give myself a nice steak on my birthday and Christmas, and then I don't eat beef for the rest of the year. Um, so there's sort of ways that you can trick yourself where it doesn't feel like you're having to give anything up, you know? Um, yeah, what else? Try and reduce your use of plastic packaging. Recycle it when you can. Um, but I think the, the other thing that people tend to overlook is just be conscious of the opinions that you broadcast. Be conscious of the example that you set, because the actions that you take are one thing, but the kind of social ripple effect you have on the people around you. I and mean, there's nothing worse, basically, than saying, ah, why bother? It doesn't matter. You know, China's emitting so much. You know, it's like, well, yeah, sure they are, but you can't control China and what they're doing. What you can control is what you do and what you say. And, you know, the, the words that you choose and the behaviors that you that you you show matter and they have an impact on the people around you. Um, you know, we're very social creatures. You know, who, who would have thought that the vegetarianism thing would have kicked off as quickly as it did? Right. In only about five, 10 years, it's gone from being like, you know, you get weird looks in restaurants if you ask to see the vegetarian menu to just completely normal. Right. So social norms are very, very powerful um, and a very powerful way that humans change and regulate our behavior. So. Be conscious of, of the kind of social norms that you're yeah, reinforcing, I guess. Yeah, all makes sense. And I understand that uh, another part is uh, uh, using Beach Token or uh, perhaps having uh, your uh, company uh, come and uh, join the mission in the future by uh, sponsoring some of the uh, actions. On that note, before we go uh, uh, any deeper, uh, or before we go back to see what you're going to be talking uh, at NFT Talent with us, then I do see that Owen has had his hand up the whole time. And maybe there are some other people that uh, might want to ask some questions. So if there are, here's your chance. God, I started out with thinking about... Um... 
there was a, a company in the UK that were already doing something similar, but they hadn't brought in uh, crypto into it. And I was thinking, you know, it would have been fantastic at the time if they had um, had integrated with a, a cryptocurrency. They're, they're actually um, Litter Lotto. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them, but there you can win prizes, basically. Um, and similar sort of thing, pick something up, take a picture of it, throw it in the bin, and you get entered into a draw. Um, and initially, I was going to start talking about that, but I think that probably the most important thing is to commend you, um, because I feel like if more people could speak about climate change the way you do, then it wouldn't be as much of a problem and people would be far more on board. Like, you hit on all the big topics there, like... Why should I care? China emits more than the whole of Ireland does in 10 minutes or something. I, I, I don't know the numbers, but it's it's something ridiculous like that. Um, and, uh, you know, what can I do? But the, the way you frame it is um, it's very healthy. Um, so I suppose it's not really a question anymore because you've gone over so much other stuff that I could discuss for about an hour. Um, but I suppose, yeah, just to commend um, the way you speak about it. And it's, um, yeah, I, I'm... I, follow a lot of YouTube channels about electric cars and stuff like that because I'm into cars and um, a lot of the environmentalists on those channels can be very difficult to listen to, very preachy. So um, I suppose that's just the main thing. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks, Owen. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I definitely went through my angry preachy phase <laughs> and basically um, I just realized that it doesn't work. Like forget about whether it's right or morally you know, on, on the money, like if it's not effective, then what's the point, right? And, you know, nobody likes being judged or having their finger wagged at them. And there's also like a privilege thing wrapped up in it. Like I, I, I had this sort of time and space to sort of sit around thinking about what the world's biggest problems are and, and what I find meaningful in life, right? If I'm struggling to feed my family, then I'm not, I, I'm not buying an organic chicken. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, there's a kind of, there's, you, once you realize that, you kind of take all the judgment out of it. And it's, it's just about like focusing on what you can do, given what you've got and not like judging anyone. I mean, also, I'm also like, you know, I'm, I'm a massive moral flexitarian myself. Like, like I said, I eat meat. I care this much about climate change and I eat meat. So it's like, I recognize that like, I just find that really hard to give up meat. I find it, you know, I'll probably be flying to the conference in Estonia. You know, so like I, I'm clearly not like a, a fantastic example to follow in any sense of the word. So I've got no no position judging anyone else. I just also recognize that, you know, what if the if the train was way cheaper than the plane or if meat was way more expensive than it is currently, then that choice would be a lot easier to make. Right. So that's the angle that we come at it from is like make it easier for people. Stop forcing them to choose between what feels good for them in the short term and what's good for the planet and align those two things, bring them together so it's not so difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the only question I really have is, um, wh when you're designing the, the payment system, um, have you thought about how you're going to, um, I suppose, battle against people that might exploit um, this this payment system and, and exploit um, it for, for their own personal gain? Yeah, totally. And, and this is a conversation we have internally the whole time. I mean, if you're trying to create an incentive for anyone anywhere to take action, you can't really regulate it all. Like, as in, I can't really prove if Sander has picked up the plastic bottle in Estonia. He might have taken a photo, dropped a pin on the map. Okay, it's pretty good. But like, I can't be sure, right? So we need to put in place lots of checks and balances. Like you can only earn a certain amount per day and you might have trusted accounts that can earn more than others and you might have to gain that trust and certain amount of peer-to-peer -peer regulation and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then also there's this sort of cybersecurity thing, right? Of, of like making sure that we're not hackable and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just an ongoing conversation. Like as we've seen recently in the crypto space, like no one's quite nailed that like 100% with sort of having to work that one out. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the, the specifics of those measures is not a question for me because I'm, like I say, I'm not the technical guy. But, but certainly, like, this is something that's ongoing all the time. But there's, I, I think one thing we have thought of is certainly in terms of the way you prove if someone's picked up a plastic bottle or, or certify a ton of carbon, <clears throat> we just acknowledge that there is a trade-off, right? Like, you have some carbon credits project which go and literally, with a tape measure, measure trees on the ground, right? But as a result, they take... 20, 30, 40% of the sale price, right? Goes to these regulators. So every, every 
pound that you spend on regulating and proving that X is 100% taking place is a pound that could be spent on doing the actual thing, right? So there's, there's a trade-off there and we tend to land on the, you know, we're not gonna claim to be carbon neutral as a platform, right? Um, you know, we are, we'll be carbon negative, but we're not gonna like make that claim really loudly and make a big deal out of it because it's not really what it's about, right? We're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to enable as many people to do good. And, um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, we, we're basically, if we get to the point where we have to really, really answer that question, Owen, and we have to really, really like think very carefully about how to make sure that no one's abusing this, then we've already been wildly successful. So it'd be a nice problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about like, stepping was such a good idea to get people out walking, but then you had like these farms of phones in, in, in Asia predominantly that were absolutely taking advantage of the whole thing, you know, create, create a huge bubble and, and kind of forced a lot of people off the app, I think, because it was just too expensive at the time and put a bad pe bad taste in people's mouths. So that was the only reason I ask is because you can lose a lot of, um, lose a lot of followers if you have a scandal like that. Yeah, no, it's spot on. It's spot on and it's something I think we just have to be alert and aware and, and kind of solve as we go. But yeah, it's, it's certainly a difficult, difficult thorny one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and that's that's the exactly the part where uh, Rob will be joining us, uh, Dennis Tellin, uh, with uh, some other uh, great speakers to discuss uh, the how NFTs will be impacting the offsetting of uh, carbon emissions and global sustainability, and how can we all build uh, better systems together. Uh, on the one hand, those that will be actually measuring uh, and uh, rewarding people for doing the right act actions. But on the other hand, also uh, ensuring that those systems uh, uh, would work uh, for the long term. Because I guess uh, the important part for uh, all of us uh, is that uh, it is not a short, uh, quick thing to, uh, that can be done within just a couple of weeks or months or years of work, but it's a long-term process. Uh, of uh, changing our existing habits and uh, getting into different uh, way of things. And when you already introduce the blockchain part into it, then one part uh, very much uh, needs to be the uh, trust side. Uh, and that's, I guess, the reason why these type of uh, solutions are being implemented on the blockchain technology and not uh, uh, on the uh, old Web2 tools, uh, along with the decentralization and many other perks. So uh, I think uh, those uh, points brought up by uh, both Owen and Rob now will be hopefully solved over the next uh, uh, years and decades, and then we'll be continuously improving. But uh, on that note, uh, we've had a great discussion here with uh, Rob. Uh, so Rob, is there any uh, last thoughts that you would like to uh, leave the audience with? Um, yeah, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith in humanity. Um, humanity is predominantly good. Um, and we are capable of amazing things. Um, but we're swimming upstream at the moment. We've made it difficult for ourselves. And, um, but yeah, when, when humans, human nature is not the problem. We're okay. Um, and we have extraordinary potential if we can make it through this next few years. This is a good thing to end with. And we're looking forward to hosting you, Rob, in Estonia uh, for NFT Tallinn. And for everyone that uh, haven't yet looked into, then uh, NFT Tallinn will be happening in Tallinn, Estonia on May 9th and 10th. And uh, there will be all sorts of different discussions on the uh, viability of the technology of uh, blockchain, the NFTs, uh, and many other things, as well as the use cases of what can we do today uh, that uh, are already uh, achievable. Uh, among other things, uh, sustainability is going to be one of the key uh, fields. So we're looking forward to hosting you uh, all there, along with uh, Rob, where you can uh, uh, meet Rob and everyone else in person as well. And uh, there are even some ideas where we 
might be implementing uh, a, a Peach token reward system uh, for the event. So I look forward to some uh, uh, announcements on that front. Now that it's said, then we need to make it happen. That's right. We all need to make it happen, Zada. So thank you, everyone. And uh, uh, let's see uh, at the next NFC Telling Talks, as well as the main event in May. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. That's all for today's episode of NFT Talent Talk. I appreciate all of you for tuning in and I hope you'll tune in for our next episode. Make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast if you found it valuable. It really helps us out. I encourage you all to visit nfttalent.com to learn more about the event and grab a ticket when you're ready. I promise you the experience in Estonia will be a worthwhile one. Bye-bye.